Well, it's great to be here. Thanks so much, Trainer, for um, the introduction. Um, it's wonderful to be here um, and be able to open up this amazing passage of God's Word together. I thought, um, to begin, I hope this isn't too weird, but I, I wonder if, I'd, I'd love it if we could try and imagine being one of Jesus' disciples, one of the close disciples of Jesus. Now, to do this, maybe it would be helpful if you could close your eyes as I kind of tell some of the story in order to help us think about John 15. So, Jesus is your rabbi. He's your teacher. For three years now, ever since he called you by name, you've been following him. You've been watching his every move. You were there when he turned water into wine. You you remember that wedding feast you remember the, the reactions of, of people's faces. You, you'd never seen anything like that. You'd never actually felt joy like that. It was incredible. You were there when he cleared the temple. You remember how you'd never seen such boldness, such zeal for God, such passion. You were there when he spoke so kindly to the Samaritan woman, And then he went and he healed the paralyzed man. And and you remember the the reactions on their faces as he spoke so tenderly, so compassionately. You were there when he fed the 5,000. And then when he stilled that raging storm, you remember his power and his control. And yet you remember his poise, his calmness, as he exercised such great authority. And you remember all the little interactions, the ones he had just with you, those ones where you were really drawn to him, to his, his character, his faith, his trust, his humility, his laughter. You remember that, his joy, his love. In many ways, you've been so intimately connected to him. You've lived with him. You've watched him. You've heard him. You love him. And just recently, you were there when he washed your feet and then told you that the time had come for him to go to the Father, the time for him to be glorified. And as you heard those words, you, you were devastated because you knew that the one you love was leaving. But Jesus, in that moment, so tenderly said to you, I will not leave you alone. I will send my spirit, the spirit of truth. He will come and he will make his home in you. And you've got to admit, those words confused you a little bit. But then Jesus said, come, let me explain. So you and the other disciples, you follow him out of the room. You walk following him to a vineyard. And there he stops and he says these words. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a branch that withers and and is in a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. In that moment, 
as you hear Jesus' command, remain in me. I want you to ask, what feelings are rising up in your heart? What feelings are coming to the fore? I imagine for this disciple, and I hope for us today, it's, I want to remain in you, Jesus. I want to bear fruit. I want to, be, I want to bring the Father glory. You might want to open your eyes. I take it that this disciple... As they listen to Jesus, as they love Jesus, they actually want to be a fruit-bearing disciple, right? They've lived that life with Jesus. He says he's going. He says, remain in me. And so my question this morning is, is that kind of the posture that we come to this morning with Jesus? As his disciples, are we those who love him, who know him, and long to remain in him, to want to bear good fruit for him? And I think we need to be really honest about this, right? I mean, as I think about my week, I think right now in this moment, maybe lots of us would say, yes, yes, I do want to bear good fruit. I do want to bring glory. If I look back on my week and the the busyness of the week that I get caught up in, Maybe for lots of those moments, that yes hasn't been quite so strong. Maybe it's been more of a maybe. Maybe sometimes I've just got to the end of the day and I've kind of just gone, wow, I haven't even really thought about Jesus that much. And today, what I want us to really think about is how do we grow as Christians? How do we grow to be like Jesus? How do, how do I grow so that my character becomes more like Jesus. Because this passage is all about growth, isn't it? Dave, last week, um, started this series for us really helpfully, and he helped us think about the fruit. What is the fruit? And he sketched out for us, and in many ways, the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Um, It's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. But I reckon also Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit, isn't he? Because Jesus is the ultimate expression of love. Jesus is the ultimate expression of joy, of peace, of patience. You think of the moment in the temple, he's the ultimate example of self-control. You think of the way he interacted with people, he's the ultimate example of patience, of kindness. Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit, right? So to be fruitful is actually to be like Jesus in our character, in the way we live, And so the question I really want us to ask this morning is, how do we actually make progress in our character to be like Jesus? Because I'm sure if you're like me, I think many of us might be, if we're a little bit honest uh, about looking back just over the past week, we know that there's areas we need to make progress in, aren't there? I mean, I look back just over my week, and I think there's, there's real moments where I wish I had more peace and less anxiety. I look back over my week and there's one particular moment where I was with one of my kids and I wish I had been more patient and less controlling. There's areas we know we need to grow, aren't there? And I think the question is, how do we grow in our character? How do we grow? And even can we grow? in our character, 
can we actually make progress? Um, some of us, I think particularly, um, maybe, <laughs> when we look out at other people, we might think, well, maybe not. You know, can the, can the selfish become unselfish? Oh, well, not him. <laughs> I, I wasn't meaning to point <laughs> deliberately to anyone there. Was, um, you know, can the... Sorry. Um, caught your eye. That was weird. Um, can, can, can the controlling person become gracious? Can the, can the tender person become courageous? Can those things actually happen? Can we actually make progress? Um, and I think the big issue is, well, can it happen? How does it happen? How does it all work? And I think this is actually a really big thing for us, right? I think it's a big thing not just in the church, but I actually think it's a really big thing in society wide. I mean, you go into any bookstore that still exists, and, and, and you see, right, that the, the largest section in bookstores is what? It's the self-help section. It's the area to try and improve, to try and make progress. The, the amount of downloads of audiobooks and podcasts to, to online courses to try and grow ourselves to be better in some way. It's phenomenal. But in many ways, what, what are we actually believing as we buy that book or listen to that, that audiobook or, or do that self-help course? What are we actually believing? We're actually believing that we have potential, aren't we? I think every time you read a self-help book, you're actually saying there's potential in here somewhere. There's somewhere I need to grow. I think actually most of us may have a frustration that we're a little bit like a bud that hasn't yet blossomed. Do you get that image? A little bit like a bud that hasn't yet blossomed. There's potential there. We just kind of don't know how to make it happen. We know we need to grow. And our passage today is actually all about growth. Here in John 15, I think we are told something absolutely astonishing. We're told that when you're connected to Jesus, growth is not just possible, it's inevitable. That's amazing, isn't it? Today we're going to look at three things. We're going to see why we can grow, we're going to think about how we can grow, and then we're going to see why we must grow. So let's look at that. Firstly, I want us to think about this image Jesus gives, I am the vine, you are the branches. I don't know if you've ever just stopped to think about that particular image, to think about how, how joined, how kind of connected the branch is to the vine. They're so deeply connected, aren't they? Um, that's why I actually wanted us to imagine the life of the disciple before. Because the disciple who lived with Jesus, followed Jesus, they were so deeply relationally connected with one another. They knew each other so well. See, the connection between the vine and the branch, between the disciple and Jesus, it's a real deep intertwined kind of connection. Isn't it? It's not like Lego. You know, you know, I don't know about you, there's a lot of Lego in my house. You just kind of find it everywhere. But it's you know when you connect Lego, you can connect Lego and disconnect and connect and disconnect and, and the two things never actually change. And you can rip them apart and put them back together and it doesn't really matter what you do. But you can't do that with a relationship, right? You can't just rip a relationship apart and try and plug it back in. That doesn't really work. You can't do that with a vine and a branch. You can't just rip the branch off and try and 
plug it back in. No, the branch, actually, where does it come from? It comes out of the vine. It grows out of the vine. The branch um, and the vine, they're so deeply connected. And in fact, any nourishment, right, any, any goodness that the branch has, it actually grows the connection. As, as the, the vine feeds the branch, the connection actually grows. It gets bigger. It enlarges. All from that really solid, chunky stem. I don't know, um, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, we'd been for a holiday in Adelaide. We actually stayed in the Adelaide Hills at a little place called Tanunda. And around Tanunda, every kind of spare patch of ground literally has a vineyard on it. <laughs> it's just like, it is wine country. Um, and one of the things that kind of impressed me is just the age of some of those vineyards. Uh, we went to one place uh, and it had 150-year-old vines. And the, the, the stems that went into the ground, they were just, they looked like tree trunks. They were chunky, chunky stems, strong roots growing down. And it struck me, right, that the branches that grew out of these stems, they, they themselves were, were large. They're not like the, the grapevine I planted last year that's this dwindly little small thing struggling to get life. These, these were strong, solid branches. And it struck me that every, every kind of good thing that that, that that branch has ever done, every growth moment, every way it's progressed, every, every way it's matured, every bit of bud and fruit that's come from it, it has drawn all of its goodness from the stem and nowhere else, right? It's all come from that stem. In fact, any stray shoot that kind of went the wrong direction and maybe started to head down towards the ground in order to launch its own roots and suck from somewhere else, what happened to it? It got snipped off. It got pruned. It got cut off. Every good thing has come from the stem in order to grow the branch. And I take it that that's why Jesus says what he says in verse 6. He says, any branch that does not remain in me is, is thrown away like a useless branch and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and are burned. They're the ones that have tried to look for something else. They get snipped off. Jesus is saying there in that verse what Dave really helpfully said to us last week as he looked at those first four verses, that God, the, the, the vine dresser, comes and will prune any branch that goes looking elsewhere. He will cut off those stray shoots. And he does that for a purpose in order that the branch draws from the vine and therefore is able to bear good fruit. See, the branch only grows. The branch only enlarges and produces fruit as it's nourished with all the goodness that comes from the vine. And that's the image that Jesus uses for his relationship with us between him and a Christian. And friends, that's why there can be growth, because we're connected to him, right? And I guess I'm kind of taking my time on this image here because I want us to see that the relationship that Jesus describes, uh, it is not simply a, like a relationship of influence. It's much more than that. Um, so I think most of the ways we generally think about growth is about influence. You know, so as a parent... I influence my kids. 
for good, for worse. I have influence, right? A boss influences an employer. A teacher influences her students. A book influences the reader. Most of the ways we think about growth, it's actually about influence, right? But Jesus in this image is saying it's much more than that, right? It's much deeper than that. Jesus is saying, I don't just influence your nature. No, no, no. He's saying, I enter your nature. I share your nature. There's a participation in the same nature that the branch remains in the vine, the vine is in the branch. They're so connected. And I take it, right, that that's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said he would send his spirit into the lives of the disciples. I mentioned it before as we kind of thought about that disciple. In John 14, 17, Jesus says this, I will send my spirit, the spirit of truth, you will know him, for he will live with you and will be in you. You see the connection? And I, I actually think that when we understand uh, that kind of connection, when we understand um, that we are so deeply connected, sharing the same nature, that actually makes sense of the next verse in our passage, uh, verse 7. Uh, Jesus says there, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Now, it's kind of a tricky verse, isn't it? Just putting it out there. Um, you, what you could do, right, is if you just took some of that verse, plucked it completely out of its context, you could say some amazing things. Name it and claim it, right? Um, anything you want. Ask for it and you'll be granted. God, I would really love a red Ferrari. <laughs> you know, is, is that how this first works? Is that how it works? No, 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 look at the image. Think about what we've just been talking about. We share the same nature as Jesus, right? As the vine. We, we share the same nature. So what does that mean? We actually share the same purpose. Whoever abides in me, Jesus says, will bear fruit and then he says so ask for whatever you want and you'll get it what is Jesus talking about I think he's talking about fruit ask for the fruit and he'll love to give it to you I think he's saying something like this are you a worried person and you want more joy or peace in your life ask for it are you a are you a controlling or angry person and you want more tenderness ask for it do you find you're an unforgiving person and you want to be more forgiving then ask for it right do you find you're anxious and you want peace ask for it jesus says ask for it and i will give it to you those character qualities those fruits i've got them in the stem right jesus says and i want to pour them into you so ask for it i want to pour them into your life ask for it so that's a question we have, right? Do I ask for these types of things? But I think also you might hear that and you might be like me. Um, actually, you might not be like me. You might be the opposite of me. You might go, great, I will. I will ask for those things. Good. Um, that's the point. But you might be like me and you might think, really? Really? Like he'll, he'll give them to me? He'll do that? 
I mean, to be honest, my default is generally pretty cynical. Really? He'll do that for me? He'll, he'll pour those kind of things into me? Can he do that? I feel like I've tried before. I don't know if it'll work. Well, verse 5. Do you remember what Jesus said in verse 5? I'm the vine. You are the branches. Here's the kicker. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the point is we can't achieve these things on our own. We can't. We're just the branch. The branch relies wholly and solely on the strength of the vine. Without him, of course we can't do it. We are weak. But with him, whatever you want, Jesus says. Whatever you want, any kind of fruit. You want love? You want joy? You want patience? Ask. Draw it out of me, Jesus says. But I think the question is, well, how does this work? How do you do it? Is it just asking? Well, also look again at verse 7. What is he saying? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Do you see what he says? He says the way we grow is, yes, by asking, but also by having his words in us. We draw on the life of Jesus through the words of Jesus. But again, you've got to ask the question, well, how do you do that? Well, I think it's actually, um, it's one thing to read the Bible for information, right? You know, you kind of go, anyone know the 12 sons of Jacob? Yeah. Great. Is that going to make you more patient? Probably not. It's one thing to read the Bible for information, right? It's another thing altogether to actually let the words of God dwell in you, remain in you, abide in you, become a home in you. And this is not the only place the Bible talks about this, right? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, there's a difference, right, between getting information from the Bible and actually letting the Word of God enter into you, be a part of you. Like the, the branch is constantly kind of drawing nourishment and goodness out of the vine. We've actually got to read God's Word in, in that kind of way, draw its truth out of us so that it becomes part of us. Thanks. And I actually think... I actually think we, we do this, and we have to do this, in really specific ways. I don't think we can just be general about this. You know, you know Ephesians chapter 6 uh, has that great verse. It says, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So what does that mean? The, the word of God is actually the, the sword, it's the, the, the weapon that the spirit uses and kind of yields and wields in order to do his work in us. Um, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to do His work in order to produce fruit, right? But there's another verse as well. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, and you'd know this verse, the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and, and it gets really precise about what the sword does. It says, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. So, so I think these verses are really helpful because... They show us that what we really need to do is we need to use the word in really particular and kind of precise ways. Just like the, the vine dresser is really particular and precise in the way he prunes, I think we need to be really particular and precise in the way we abide. So, for example, 
If I'm feeling unforgiving, if I'm holding a grudge, then I actually think what I need to do is draw out from the Word what the Word says about forgiveness and live in that. So what I could do, right, is, is I could just try to find a Bible passage that, that speaks in some way about the forgiveness that I have in Jesus, right? I could, I could read something like, like Romans chapter 5 that, that just has that amazing passage of how we were dead in our, in our sin. We were enemies of God. And yet because of the, the love of God in Jesus Christ, he went to a cross, and he died on that cross so that all my sin, past, present, future sin, gets nailed to the cross and I'm completely forgiven. I've just got to take that truth and kind of bring it into my heart, right? Or what I could do is I could just recall the, the parable of Jesus. You know that amazing parable about the unforgiving servant? Uh, the guy who had that massive debt, like a $12 billion debt or something. And then, and then that, he, there was someone who, who only owed him $20 and he couldn't forgive him. And Jesus says, you've got to know how massive the debt has been forgiven. If you know that your debt of sin and hell has been forgiven by the cross of Christ, then just dwell in that. And that will empower you to forgive the wrong that's been done to you. I think we've got to do that sort of thing. We've got to draw out the specific part of the word in order to let the Spirit take that word and work it in us in order that he would change us so that little by little we can start to forgive. I take it to do that, we actually need to know the fruit we need to work on. We need to know the area that we want to grow in. And then instead of trying to force the fruit out by some sort of willpower, by just concentrating on the fruit, what we actually need to do is turn to Jesus and to see that he actually has all of that goodness in him. And then we draw it out. We need to ask him for it. We need to draw it out through his word, by his spirit. Maybe you find yourself worrying a lot. Then go and draw on Jesus. Just take a couple of the truths of Jesus, you know, the, that he is the one who loves you so deeply and personally. He knows you. And he's also the one who holds the whole world in his hands, right? He has incredible power and control. You put those two truths together, the powerful one and the personal one, and you just kind of go, he's got me. And you sit in that. And I take it that the Spirit of God will start to work a piece of God. Through the word of God. You know, I was thinking about me. I really like to be a more joyful person. Sometimes I get really focused and a bit too serious. And I was thinking, how could this work for joy? And a verse came to me, right? Um, David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I thought, well, maybe I could just think about my salvation for a moment. And I started to think about how much God loves me and that Jesus died for me. I started to think about how I'm actually fully forgiven from my sin, that I have the hope of heaven, right? And I started to smile, right? I don't think you can say I'm forgiven without kind of smiling in some way. I take it that's how it starts to work. So I think what it means to have the word abide in us 
is actually we need to bring the word in and, and, and let it address us. We kind of have to preach it to ourselves, if that makes sense. But I actually take that if we don't do this, then how can we expect to grow? We've got to be doing this sort of thing. We've seen why we can grow. We connected to Jesus. We've seen how we can grow by the word of Jesus. And in verse 8, I think we see why we must grow. It's for the glory of Jesus. Have a look there at verse 8. It says, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Now, I think again, we have to be a little bit careful with this verse. This uh, verse could be misunderstood. Um, it's, it's not that we become disciples by bearing fruit. Um, fruit doesn't make a branch alive, right? No, being attached to the vine is what makes a branch alive. But what fruit does is it actually tells you that the branch is alive. Does that make sense? I, I think maybe the, the NIV translation is a little bit better um, when it says, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, fruit or good deeds don't make you a Christian. We know that, right? Only trusting in Jesus' death is what makes you a Christian. But fruit does show you that we are his. Fruit shows you that he's working in us and through us. So I actually think it's worth asking, as you look at your life, can you see fruit? Can you see areas that you're growing? And I think, again, we need to be careful here because I think if we look too closely, it might be hard to see. When we're in Adelaide, for instance, um, when we're in Adelaide, it was wintertime. You look at those vines, there wasn't a leaf on them. There was, there was nothing on them. And in fact, I think for most grapevines, probably for over half the year, there's no leaf on them at all. But if you take a long-term view, you see that the bud starts to grow, the leaf comes, and the fruit follows, right? Sometimes we've got to take a really long-term view of our lives to think about the fruit. Perhaps you're here today, and you're hearing this, and you actually think, actually, Steve, I know that I'm not alive. Not because you're not focusing on the fruit, but because you know that you've actually never connected to Jesus. You might be here today and you know that you've never actually come to him and abided in him. If you're here and you're feeling drawn to him, if perhaps you've been thinking about your life and seeing bad fruit, sin, and you know it needs to be forgiven, then Jesus says, come and ask for forgiveness. I'd love to give that to you, he says. Go to him and he will graft you in. He'll begin to change you. But Christian friends today, if you look at your life and you know that you've been a bit stagnant, you know that you haven't been drawing out the life of Jesus in order to grow, then can I encourage you as I finish with the advice of a Scottish pastor from the 18th century, a guy called Robert Murray McShane. He once said this, he said, For every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. For every one look at your life where you are looking for fruit and trying to self-analyze, he says, have a look there, yes, 
But for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Because that's how we grow, isn't it? We grow by seeing Jesus. So see him in his word. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be Jesus' disciples. Help us to know him. Help us to live with him, just like those original disciples did. Father, we thank you that we can know your love, your forgiveness, your peace in Jesus, in his death and resurrection for us. Father, we thank you that you send your spirit to not only give us life, but to change our lives so that we can become more like Jesus. So, Father, please help us to leave here looking to him and bring glory for him. Amen.